Welcome to the Detox Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gwena, certified holistic health coach and detox enthusiast, and I'm here to talk all things detox. Toxins exist in our lives in many forms, from the foods we eat, products we use, people we spend time with, and even the thoughts in our heads. Here we discuss how various toxins may be sapping our energy and vitality, and how we can detox to create a life we love. Each week, we'll discuss everything from nutrition, clean beauty, body image, stress management techniques, career and business, relationships, you name it. Whether it's with a guest or just yours truly, we'll get real, raw, and honest and provide tangible tips to detox all areas of our lives. If you're ready to step into the most vibrant version of you, let's get started. If we figure out ways to nurture ourselves on a spiritual level, even above our financial, our health, our relationships, et cetera, then we will have something to connect to even when all these material things aren't present, which they won't at some times. You might have, you have them today, they're gone tomorrow. You don't have them now, they'll come in any second on their own. If we can anchor ourselves to a particular spiritual practices that give us a nourishment and a happiness deeper than temporary happiness. And I'm happy now, I'm sorry. Something that nourishes us on a deeper level. And I would equate that to helping one understand their own nature and self in relationship to divinity and eternality. And that's a thing worth doing. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Detox Diaries podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Madhu. He is a respected holistic lifestyle coach who lived as a monk for half a decade and traveled the world extensively, studying under world-renowned teachers, and Madhu shares his journey from becoming a monk with drastically deteriorating health and finances to a healthy, thriving business owner of an almost seven-figure international coaching agency. So this is such an interesting and amazing conversation. We chat about his journey to healing himself with Ayurveda, why taking care of yourself is a necessary step in caring for others, the monk mindset method and how it helps you to get your mind on your side and accomplish your goals, how to find your soul's unique purpose, how having a spiritual perspective can uplevel your life, and the most beneficial and easiest meditation practice. So this one was so good. I can't wait to get into it. So let's do it. Madhu, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you and to chat with you. And I would love for you to just kind of kick it off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to doing what you do now. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me to get to actually talk about the things that arguably most people should be talking about on the Detox Diaries. And so excited to uh, go into some different practices and mindsets that hopefully we'll all be able to leave today's episode with um, with some options to feel better, make life a little easier. Well, I'll give you the short version, and if you want me to expand on that, we can. Um, long story short, when I was 18 years old, I shaved my head and became a monk. Now, I like to throw that out right in the beginning. Guess it's like what? Um, I was born and raised in a spiritual quote-unquote spiritual household where my parents never pushed anything really. They just said, have fun, explore, ask a lot of good questions. And then when I was 16, I read a book called the Bhagavad Gita. My father said, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you read this book, which I mean, come on. <laughs> How can you pass that up? <laughs> right. Especially at 16. That was, it doesn't get any better than that. And so I read this book because I was studying philosophy and theology in school. And once I read that book, I went, okay, there's something unique about the ancient I'll call it like the yoga literatures, but really it's called like the Vedic literatures, the actually the oldest written literatures we have in this world, the Vedas. And I started to venture into them. And then 
when I was 17, I wanted to become a monk and shave my head, but it was a liability. They wouldn't let me move in. So on my 18th birthday, they let me move in. And uh, I lived six months a year in India, six months a year in America, different monasteries, studying the ancient, uh, we call them Vedic arts, but in simple, it's mindset training, health training, um, different very uh, traditional practices, which usually most of us in the West are familiar with. I don't know if you go to a yoga studio, a lot of things they offer there. Those are the types of things we learned. And I was a monk for about a half a decade, studying under some some of the coolest teachers, maybe I'm biased, but some of the coolest teachers in the world. And then I graduated the monastery, become a normal person, see, see the hair, right? <laughs> I got you, let's see normal. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, I knew I wanted to share what I learned, but I didn't know what, what that looked like. And so I ran around the world like a headless chicken for a few years trying to figure out what that looks like. Uh, but what happened was <clears throat> I deteriorated my health and I had no money in the name of service. I'm sure everyone, yourself and everyone listening has never met a spiritualist that's had an unhealthy relationship with money or health. <laughs> we have time for everyone to laugh at that one. No. Uh, by the way, everyone listening has to laugh at all of the cheesy jokes. It's, a, it's mandatory. Um, I totally wore myself down to the point where I got parasites and lost 25 pounds um, couldn't eat, no appetite, microbiome was just mess, blah, blah, blah. And uh, meanwhile, no resources to financial resources to help me heal. And so that's when I really took on the very seriously uh, studying Ayurveda, which is um, for those not yet familiar with ancient, one of the world's oldest holistic sciences of health, <clears throat> as well as understanding finances and studying different aspects of coaching and teaching online. Uh, to be able to teach what I learned as a monk to other normal people in this world. And uh, that's that's what inspired me to start to help people with their health. And then eventually you helped enough people with their health, but they were like, now I want to help more people. And so then I was like, just do what I did. And in this way of help, uh, somehow or other now, a uh, few hundred people grow a holistic coaching business of their own. So that's that's the short version. <laughs> wow, that's quite the story. And this may be a really silly question, but I'm just going to ask it because I'm I wondering <laughs> when you go into a monastery to study, to become a monk, is it like always you only do it for a certain amount of time versus like a lifelong commitment? Yeah, it's actually a fantastic question. Um, there's two different types of monks. There's one which is a like thing of a student monk. And then and the other is like a lifelong monk. So the student monk in Sanskrit is called the brahmacharya. Um, is somebody who typically for in their youth for some years they live a sober celibate more isolated service-based lifestyle as a way is to train the mind for many things but specifically for sense control and sensitivity and you know learn how to actually live in this world in a way that your mind becomes your friend and your mind doesn't just drive you all over the place then uh, usually once somebody goes through their life, you know, becomes a normal person and, you know, eventually retires, et cetera, they then dedicate to a life of celibacy and, you know, isolation. That, uh, let's see, I'll talk to you in about 40 years. I'll let you know how I'm doing. But um, I, I was the student monk. Now, some student monks will go straight into a lifelong vow of celibacy, but it's definitely very rare and um, not for the faint of heart. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And so what was kind of your, you said you were like reading spiritual texts and things like that, but what do you feel like was really the the reason that made you decide to dedicate so much of your, especially early years when most people are, you know, <laughs> drinking, partying, sowing their wild oats, like what was really the driver behind that? Yeah. You mean most 18 year olds don't move to India to <laughs> shave their head and be celibate? Um Yeah. Well, while I was studying philosophy and theology, really all that I had access to in terms of like what's popular or scholastic is philosophy. You have like Western philosophy, which is pre predominantly, let's say, Greek Roman on. So it's, it's old, but not that old. You know, a couple only a couple thousand years. I said it slightly jestingly, but and then for theology, you mostly have Abrahamic religions, which are um, Islam. Christianity, Judaism, et cetera. A little bit of like Aboriginal culture, maybe tinges of Buddhism like that. But I, I, I was studying what was available to me. But as I was learning all of these, um, I always felt like, yeah, I like this. I like understanding philosophy. I like understanding theology. And But I had all these questions that I really, 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 really wanted answered. I was like, and, and I, I met so many amazing people who would talk with me from all these different faiths, practices, philosophies um, that could answer a lot, but there's always certain questions I would get to that I really, I was like, I just really wanted them to answer. I mean, little things <laughs> I said, it's, it's very much a joke, actually. It's not a little, but things like, what exactly am I? You know, there's this concept like, I'm, I'm a, like, what exactly is that? Because I'm clearly not this body. The body's changing. I, right in front of my eyes, you know, every seven years, every single cell of the body is regenerated. We're, we're just reincarnating every seven years, taking on new biomechanical robots. So like, who is the me that's like inside? Because I know it's not this. I know I'm not less of a person if I lose my limbs or I don't have an ear. It's, it's, so trying to understand certain concepts of that or understanding nature of divinity. Like, okay, wait, how can, how is it that uh, the age old question, why do Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. And I had all these questions that I, I just couldn't get an answer to. And oftentimes I would be met with, uh, don't worry, just have faith. I was like, no, I'm worried. I don't just have faith. I'm worried. <laughs> and so that's why my father was very much into spiritual practices. <clears throat> he said, there's a book you should read that I think will help open your mind. That was the ancient Bhagavad Gita, which... It was about 5,000 years old when it was written down. And um, it talks about the nature of the self. And, and it started to just in the first chapter or two, started saying things like, so you're an eternal soul. That's what you actually are driving around the body. The body changes, but you're a real soul. Your, your, your real self is uh, eternal, blissful, and full of knowledge. And it starts teaching those ideas or, or even like, you know, there is no such thing as evil in this world. Everything is based off of karma of, of cause and effect. And the idea that an all good, all loving, all powerful divine source would want to give us free will. Because, it, you know, if if free will is not available, then you can't actually love. And love is the highest thing in this world. Things like that, which was like, boom, 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 little gaskets in my brain getting blown off. Um, I went, okay, there's something in this. And that's when I started to read more of that literature philosophy. And it's like I drank the Kool-Aid. And it, it, it not only to answer my questions, but I started to feel the difference too. Actually, that was that was another point. I had ADHD and anxiety and a bunch of cool labels they gave me as a kid. Oh, I couldn't sit down and I, my, my 
labeling my superpowers. And I, for the first time in my life, could actually sit down and meditate. I, I had some kind of skewed understanding of meditation, but I learned from this ancient bhakti yoga tradition as taught from the Bhagavad Gita, like actual practical ways to meditate where I could sit there. And I was like, wait, I don't want to go crazy. This is really nice. I can actually sit here and do this and feel the benefit. And, you know, and, and the proof of the puddings and the tasting. So not only was I feeling the difference and my questions were being satisfied, it just made sense. And I thought, all right, let's try this on Versailles. And then I don't have to keep going to college and I can move and travel internationally. There's some reason. I love that. And I feel, I honestly feel like it's so like kismet that you kind of came into my life <laughs> for this interview at this time. Cause I feel like I'm like really diving into all this stuff now too, from a spirituality perspective and just love listening to conversations like this. So I'm so excited to chat with you about this kind of stuff. And I think it's interesting too, because you insinuated like, oh yeah, duh, the like spiritual person that like puts themselves last and ends up running themselves into the ground and blah, blah, blah. But for people listening to the show who I think my, a lot of my audience may not be all in touch with like why that would kind of be that stereotype of a spiritual person. So what kind of was that path that ended up with you not really taking care of yourself? Mm. Well, I think that the one point everyone will resonate with is that really we actually want to serve. Everyone's serving someone in something. Now, even though there might be the idea like, I don't want to, I want to be served. Sure. That might be there, but actually Everyone wants to serve some cost. There's some cause that seems worth and just spending attention. And the typical phenomena for quote unquote spiritual practitioners is that they just want to serve, but they want to help others and whatnot. But it's often at the expense of their own blank health, mental health, physical health, spiritual health, you fill in the blank, um, emotional health. And I found that, and I experienced it myself, is that in this mood of trying to give, give and not take, it's like you get to a point where you're like, you know what, taking doesn't bring me happiness. Giving is what brings me happiness. And I think everyone will resonate with that to some extent or another. It can, it can go to the other extreme where it's like, now I just give, 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 give. But as I like to say, a drowning lifeguard can't save anybody, but a strong lifeguard can save many. And so trying to give from a not full cup until the point where you feel depleted and overwhelmed and exhausted. And that's really what I mean with this type of uh, sabotage that a spiritualist could often be faced with. And in this desire to just give, 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 I was just, I wasn't sleeping enough. I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't prioritizing myself. I, I was uh, not doing all of my lifeguard practices to keep myself a strong lifeguard. And what happened was I went Right after I got to India, this was, I don't know, maybe my third trip, third, fourth trip. And so I was still a monk at this time. I got uh, really sick. I, I foolishly drank some local something, which had local water in it. And as soon as I did it, I went, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Everything slowed down. I thought, here we go. And uh, I got really terribly sick. And then over the course of the six months while I was in India as a monk traveling and um, doing different services and teaching meditation, whatnot. My health is deteriorated, slowly deteriorated. Actually, I would say rapidly deteriorated uh, to the point where I, you know, emaciated. And um, I, I've always, I've, I've, I'm very uh, stocky. 
thick in <laughs> modern vernacular, if I might say so. Wide, wider body frame. But I mean, I really narrowed down and everyone was like, this is not good. So I was going like, you know, this doctor, that doctor. And what happened was I, I later realized at the time I was just doing, it does what it's told. I just was doing what they said. But what happened is I was just putting Band-Aids on. I wasn't addressing the root. I was just like, okay, you have nausea, take this thing, it takes nausea away. You have mucus, take this thing, it takes mucus. Not realizing, wait, why is my body feeling nauseous? Why is my body creating mucus? Like, what's what's happening in my body to cause all these symptoms? And so it was just making it worse and worse. And then eventually, I came back to the U.S. And I would always visit my parents. Sometimes people ask, how do my parents feel about me becoming a monk? Uh, they loved it, actually. They were like... Okay, you can become a monk or you go do something you don't want to do. Yeah, become a monk. And I would visit them regularly and I got back and I was so sick and I actually like went home. And like my mom, my parents were like, what are you doing, dude? And um, yeah, and I, and I was bedridden and I didn't know what to do. And I went to a friend of mine who's an Ayurvedic therapist, Ayurvedic marma therapist. And we spent about 30 minutes. He was like, come in, I'll treat you. You're a monk. I got you. Like, I'll treat you. And he gave me a session in about 30 minutes to an hour. He, he told me everything that was wrong with me, just from like looking at my tongue and my eyes and pushing points on my hand and like checking out my body, like different uh, physiognomy. And he's like, this is the, here, here's your issue. You've got parasites. Your bowels aren't moving properly. Blah, blah. I, for the sake of the listeners, sadly, <laughs> I don't, I don't listen. but, and he goes, here's what you got to go do. You got to go get an x-ray of your stomach. They're going to do, 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 do. And so I was like, let's try it and so i did and everything he said was true actually i went i went in and the doctor said uh we are rushing you to the er we actually gotta i'll save this spare the details but clean me out in all ways possible i had obstipation means my bowels were full and not moving sorry um <laughs> let's use that visual and it was it was a big old problem and so they cleaned me out blah blah blah, blah. but at this point i still wasn't I was doing the Western perspective, which it just, it left me bedridden and I couldn't even think straight. Like I could, like couldn't even function. And like my mom, I, I was home for like a few weeks at this point, my mom would like cook for me, like little, little like stewed apples and stuff just to be able to digest. It, it, it was, it was intense. And this practitioner, it was now one of my closest friends in this world. He started to give me tips to like how to rebuild myself from a holistic perspective, Ayurvedic perspective. And I started doing it and I immediately started to feel relief. I immediately, I was like, oh wait, there's my digestive fire. I'm hungry. Oh my God, this is the first time I've been hungry and who knows how long or whatever. Like just this slew of symptoms started to decrease. And eventually I realized, okay, there's something in this. And I was able to fully reheal myself from um, a really unfortunate situation. And then I decided... I want to dedicate my life to understanding the science and not only for myself, but in a way that I could do it for others. And that was really the turning point for me. Um, and then again, a few years later, after I graduated, that's when I was like, I finally got some health, but I was teaching people health, but I was doing everything donation based thinking that's what would serve, but teaching people health, but like can't even afford to eat a full zucchini. Had to like ration our zucchinis. <laughs> My poor wife. Anyway, <laughs> and um, yeah, and then that's when I, that's when it turned into like, okay, just like I re healed myself with health. Now it's time to reheal my 
business, if you will, to make sure I can actually sustain life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so ironic that it took you coming, leaving India and coming to the U.S. to find Ayurveda. <laughs> right. Can't make this stuff up. And yeah. so was because you mentioned that it was like the Veda text and stuff that you were learning in the monastery is the whole Ayurveda like medical piece something you learned there or was it just you were more focused on the spirituality or kind of how did those pieces like not come yeah, together <laughs> good point. yeah good point it, it's more along the lines of according to your particular nature or in Sanskrit there were dharma like psychophysical nature and purpose you are engaged accordingly so someone who loves to cook well like engage them in like cooking the meals for everyone, someone who enjoys to say teach, like for me, I've always enjoyed teaching, like we'll go to campuses and universities and out to the streets even to like teach meditation or somebody who likes to read, whatever you like to do is like a way to engage your nature. And in the West, there wasn't really much option, at least at that point, to learn specifically the Ayurveda practice. There were all these other like philosophical, theological um, ways I was focusing my attention on other little things but there wasn't much opportunity for ayurveda in india however there was the problem is i didn't know I, you don't know what you don't know so even in india i was like i heard of the term ayurveda like i don't know it's maybe some quackery i don't really know what this is and i tend to be very skeptical anyway of these types of practices and so once yeah when i was 20 21 21 and had this health crisis that's when i it was like, okay, I got to figure out how to learn this. And then I was some, as if miraculously lived in a place where I could start to learn that. Funny enough, in New York City, um, and there's this lovely place. Shout out to the Bhakti Center, New York City. If you know what the Bhakti Center is, if you don't go there anyway. Uh, one of my favorite places in the whole wide world where they were offering certain like, yeah, teaching little things on Ayurveda. So I started studying there and then I would go to India and study with different teachers there and like that and then eventually got to the point where i was like studying it online and different textbooks some of the traditional texts like the charaka samhita ashtanga hridayam blah 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 and so that's how i started to get integrated in that direction so it's like short answer is it was always available but it's like you had to know where to look and who to ask does that make sense yeah totally and i'm so curious now because obviously you've you hit the spirituality monastery lessons and then you moved into the health crisis lessons ayurveda then the the figuring out your finances so lots of knowledge in all these different areas what is kind of the way that you support people now like what is like the current manifestation of all of this for you yeah well i'm a big fan of teaching people what we've already been able to do ourselves i'm a big fan of like Arguably, the most impactful things we can teach others are those things which we've experienced ourselves, primarily. Obviously, there's always other, I don't think you have to experience everything in order to teach it, but those are the things that are going to be the most, uh, you have the most realized knowledge on. And so for years, up until about three, four years ago, um, my full focus was teaching people like Ayurveda and health. There's also the mindset, like what we what we do now is called, we have the monk mindset method. And we teach monk mindset mastery. That's really the fundamentals because if you can teach your mind how to become your best friend, the world is your oyster. Everything else becomes so much easier. Otherwise, the mind just drags us left and right. And, <laughs> and I'm sure no one listening has any idea what I'm talking about. But um, 
yeah, the mind will just drag you all over the place. So that's the fundamental thing. But also it was, it was almost like you bring people in under the, not even the guys of health, because I would do health, but like, that's the way you draw them in, but then actually teach them how to train their mind. So that's like the fundamental teaching. And then you also do the health, specifically mental and physical health. Um, and I did that for years, but then what happened was all these people were getting transformation themselves and they were learning. And I was meeting all of these other like holistic practitioners and teachers, but they were all like me, how I was a few years prior where it was like, didn't know how to make money. It was like in the name of health was suffering, didn't know how to take care of themselves. And then I realized, oh, I could help people with this too. And I guess let me be more explicit. I, you know, a little cautious how I share, but, um, once I started my own coaching business, even around just holistic health, I was able to, in the first year, go over six figures. Second year, we doubled that. Third year, we doubled that. And somehow or other, um, I spent a lot of time trying to learn how to really optimize that because more money simply means helping more people. And uh, big fan of that. Big fan of both, actually. But <laughs> you know, and I figured out how to do that. And I thought, oh, you know what? There's so many other people that I could help teach how to make a multi-six figure business. And that's when I, if you, about three years ago, this March is when I said, um, all right, let's actually, let's not just teach the holistic side, but let's actually teach the business side. And I created what's called now the Conscious Closing Academy, pretty much for like spiritual entrepreneurs, uh, yoga, holistic wellness, that type of idea, um, how they can grow their business in a way that doesn't feel slimy and gross. It's like, we call it conscious closing because like how do you got to if you want money you need sales only way money gonna get in your business is if you make a sale and so like how to sell the people that really want your services in a way that's in full integrity with your values and, and that's the system that we built because arguably more people need health ah, you could take it from different angles but people need at least as much health help with building their business as they do with their health. And yeah. So that, that's what took me in that direction. And somehow or other, we've, we've had amazing success with able to help people. Um, yeah, get minimum six figures plus doing what they love. It's like, come on, it doesn't get any better than that. And we like to say monetize your dharma. That's like the simplest way to put it. Monetize your dharma. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting again, because I feel like this is exactly what I'm finding as you're like building your business kind of thing and taking all these business programs and some of the things that I've done, I've been like, this doesn't really feel yeah. like me. <laughs> like it feels too, like you said, like not, hopefully I've never been slimy, but you know, a little bit like, oh, like I, this doesn't feel great kind of thing. Like give me or too salesy. Yeah. So it, and the further that I kind of feel more into this, the spirituality of things, like even more, it didn't feel aligned. So I could so see how that's, so needed. And the majority of us that are in this holistic health space are that kind of like personality archetype that would, would benefit from something like that. So that's amazing. But I feel like probably most people listening are more interested in health. Yeah. <laughs> so we can kind of go back to that a little bit more. So, and kind of, I guess, even going back to just the, the monk mindset that you mentioned, because totally agree. If you can get your brain on your side or your mind on your side, everything else is just information and you can figure out how to implement it into your life essentially. So can you kind of walk us through a little bit more of what that looks like? Absolutely. Yeah. And the reason we call it the monk mindset method is it's like how to not have to move into a monastery, shave your head for a couple of years, 
to learn. It's it's really how to take these principles that they're truths. They're not one particular culture or one language or one particular blank owns. It's just this is true things that you'll notice that everybody, ever every body in mind can benefit from. And so specifically for developing this monk mindset method is there's a fundamental there's fundamental steps to help anyone start to move in a progressive direction for, towards their goals, you know, for the things that they actually want in their life. And there's a few points I can mention that I think anyone can start with, no matter where you are, what you have, you just, all you need to do is, I like to say, lock yourself in a room, turn anything with an off switch off and just grab a pen and paper and like start, start with what I'm about to say. And that is, uh, you always start with your value system. It's, it's starting to get clear of your values. And a simple way we like to do that is write down what is important to you and what you value. Make a list of everything you can think of. And then once, and, and there's no judgment here. You're just, this is for your eyes only. You're just pouring like all the things that you value, whether you like that you value them or not, that's all right. You know, whether there's a value conflict or not, just you write them down. And then what you start to do once they've all been written down is you go through and Threadbare, you identify where you learn that value from. Try to find a way that you can place it, trace it back to, you know, did you learn it from your parents, specifically from one parent? Did you learn it from your school growing up? Did you learn it, was it just a societal norm? Did you, like, where did you take that value? Where did you learn that that value is valuable, if you will? And then the third step is actually go through and ask yourself if this is true to you. Because there's so many values that we collect. And then when we look at them, we go, wait a second. Wait a sec. I don't want this at all. What the heck? Why am I, why, why am I moving towards this? I don't want this. And, and that's the first step is understanding your value system. Because ultimately, your, set of, your state of values are your philosophy. And just like everyone has, everyone has a philosophy, just like everyone has a psychology. Whether one knows psychology or not, doesn't matter. They have one. Just like whether you know philosophy or not, it doesn't matter. You got one. You've got a, say, a, a, a set of values. And to the extent that you can got, start to get familiar with what you value and then identify where it comes from and then if it's actually true to you, then you'll understand like, okay, this is what I actually, what's actually important to me in my life. And then you go to the second step. Once you have a, a decent idea of what your set of values are, then you go to, we call it your claims. It's really what, what you want. It's the things in your life that you actually really want. These are everything from the routines to the physical objects to you name it, to the relationships. Like you start to write down all the things that you want in your life. In the near future, for the rest of your life, whatever the case might be. But I don't like to call them wants. I like to call them claims because we like to always turn them into the positive. So an example is, would it be helpful to give examples of each of these? Of Maybe course. Yeah, that'd be great. So maybe the backtrack then, an example of like a value would be, <clears throat> let's just say health because we're on the detox diaries. Um, one might say health. And then the question really is, what does that mean? And let's say, let's say we qualify that as physical health. Okay, where did I learn physical health is beneficial from? All right, you make a long list. That's one that's pretty generic, you know? I mean, here, here, here. And you have to ask yourself, okay, is this true? Yes, this is true to me. Like, this is 100% something that's true. 
And then another value might be, let's say something more specific with that would be, let's go into diet. Is it, can I get dicey on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. I was like, I can even give an example of I've done this exercise kind of. Tell me. Yeah, please. So for me, I actually did a version of, I like call it authentic code. Well, not I, Lacey Phillips from Team Magnetic called it authentic code. So I have mine, but I did one for the detox diaries and I didn't, success wasn't one of the words, but I know success is something that I've thought was a value previously. And what I realized it really is, is freedom and impact. So the success is not what's actually the important part. So it's kind of like the breaking apart, like what does success mean to you? It means the freedom to not have to be stressed about money, to, you know, go away when I want to take vacation when I want to, and the impact of making a difference in other people's lives. And that probably adds up to what I consider success, but the success in and of itself is not what matters. Amen. What a perfect example. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. That's the idea, right? And like, once you do that, you see like, oh yeah, this is actually what I, you know, this is actually what my value is. And so, and you know, just like that, and you, you can get as specific as you want as people go through this. But the main thing is you start to understand like what's actually important, you know, values in terms of what's important in my life. And um, yeah, I, I wanted to, what was a dicey example? Oh, oh, I got a good, you know, very polarizing one. One that shook me when I was younger is, like with diet. And I was like, you know, diet's really important. And then what happened was I had this dichotomy, like, well, there's the idea that I need to do what's healthy for me, but I don't, I want to do as little negative impact on others as possible, which means like, I have to adjust my diet in a certain way to facilitate certain foods I can eat or can't eat, whatever the case might be. And like that, you start to get into like different sets of values. So like in, in my case, what, what wound up um, making the most sense for me was at first I was like, I want to go vegan. I was like, this makes the most sense. This is the most ethical. Uh, but what happened was I, 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 my body just, uh, one of my doctors says I'm still recovering from veganism. I love the idea of, of like, I appreciate it. I come in like, yeah, I go vegan. But what happened was in the name of ahimsa or nonviolence, I was doing a lot of ahimsa to myself and, you know, so there's the idea like, is it a carnivore diet? Is it a vegan diet? Is it whatever the case might be. And, and, you know, able to find kind of a medium where what, what I like to do is called the Ahimsa diet. This is what we promote or we try to promote is you eat, it's, it's like a vegetarian diet, but you eat dairy, but in a way that from Ahimsa cows. So from animal, you can take dairy, but from animals that will never be harmed or slaughtered. Because sometimes the idea is like in veganism, it's like, screw all dairy or just gotta do my own thing it's like but rather i like vegan 2.0 is the ahimsa diet where it's like you proactively take care of the cows and the animals and then they give like there's a farm near us that we support and there's one cow chumpuck her name's chumpuck i love her so much <laughs> she had gave birth over three years ago probably about three and a half she still gives milk every week because she's loved and cared for grass-fed a2 like like the whole thing still gives milk just out of love and like that milk that's milk we could take so like that it, it forces one to really start to like get nitpick of like what what's actually important here you find something that actually works that you're you're willing to put your stake in the ground it's like this is what this is what i stand for and so anyway and you gave such a great example too and so once you've done that then you get into things you want and an example is 
we want to turn everything into the positive and into the specific. So usually every January 1st, everyone goes, I want to get healthier. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to lose some weight. But the challenge is, what the hell does that even mean? That's like, what, what's better? What, is, what does it mean to get more healthy? You got to get really specific. So rather than saying, I want to feel better, or I want to lose weight, we might say, I want to gain five pounds of muscle in the next six months or something like that. Or rather than saying, I don't want to feel bad, we turn into the positive. What is it that you do want to feel? Like, I want to feel comfortable in my body. And so the next step is start to get clear with what you want, turn it into the positive and get specific on it. And then you turn it into a claim so rather than saying, um, yeah, I want to feel more comfortable in my body. I want a better diet. You know, I want an optimal digestion. I eat or I want to eat a whole foods diet. We, we take out the want. We gap the space to figure out what the destination of our desire actually is. So example would be, I eat a whole foods diet. I feel comfortable in my body. And you turn everything into the claim version. where you, So you see the destination. I always give the example, no one, a lot of people who want to go on vacation, please pay close attention to this example because it's, it's all about vacations. If I say I want to go on vacation, it's like, what does that mean? It's like, well, I want to go to a tropical place. All right, cool. Where? Uh, U.S. somewhere in the U.S. Okay, what does that mean? Like Hawaii, Florida, California. Like where? Where do you want? Uh, Hawaii. All right, cool. Like, do you want to go to a more populated island or like less populated? Uh, less populated. All right, cool. That's like what about Kauai. Yeah, okay. Do you want to go in like the north, where it's more like tropical, rainy? You want to go in the south, where it's more beachy? Uh, south. All right, cool. Yeah, like that. We can start to narrow down until we actually figure out where exactly it is you want to go. And then you can figure out how to get there. You got to know the what before the how. So don't just stop with a want. You turn a want into a claim so you can get really clear of what the destination of your desire is. So that's the second step is you got to claim it, figure out what it is that you want and then what it looks like. Not as a fake it till you make it. Not in a way that you just throw, you sit, stare at the mirror every day and go, I spent seven days in Kauai <laughs> in South Bay in Poipu. Like, not that you just say it out loud, but then you actually can, then you know where you're going. And then it's, it's fairly simple to connect the dots. Say, well, here's where I'm at. It's like a GPS, probably the final destination, current location. And it's a fairly simple protocol. And so that's the second step. And then the third step is the habits. This is where the magic happens. Oh, this is where the magic really happens. Where now that you know the destination and it's fairly simple to know where you're going to be at in relation to that destination. The habits are the step-by-step -step progress to get you from point A to point B. This is the part where you start to ask yourself, what do I need to do on a daily or regular basis? What do I need to commit to doing on a daily or regular basis that will inevitably get me to this claim? It's just a matter of time. I always tell people, we set goals, but we don't want to be fortune tellers. We're not interested in like, if I, I got to hit it by this date, no matter what, or else we're off. It's like, no, somewhere. you ain't a fortune teller. You don't got to be a fortune teller. But we want to create systems that will inevitably get us to a goal in a realistic timeline. In, in other words, if I do X every day, it should only take about six months to hit this goal. Great. If it takes five, great. If it takes seven, great. You're going to hit that goal. 
usually the process itself is the thing that we want. It's not even the goal anyway. It's like people want money. Like, why do you want money? Uh, to be comfortable in my house. Okay, you want, you want a comfortable house. Like, you just get that once and it's done. Does that house need upkeep? House needs upkeep. So just like, you need constant money for the rest of your life, right? Oh, yeah, I guess I shouldn't just win the lottery one. It's like, you need to figure out how to generate money so you can live the lifestyle that you want or health. It's not like, oh, good, now I'm in good health. Now I leave it. No, we want the habits that will promote good health. So the third step is like, what do I need to commit to doing every day regularly that will force me to eventually hit my goal? That's the short version. I'm happy to go into more specifics, but those are like the, the first three steps we take everyone into for the monk mindset method before we can get into the meditations, into the protocol. That's like the fundamental starting point from which everything else starts from. Got it. And you find that when you identify those values, that kind of is probably that crucial starting point that most people are missing <laughs> is it's kind of your built-in why that may, keeps you committed to what you're working towards. Yeah. Very eloquently said. I like that. It's the why even before the what specifically because the challenge is if we just look at just what we want, you'll eventually realize there's something you don't want, but you won't have, you might not have a lot of reasoning. You'll be like, I thought I wanted, like you mentioned this great example, like I want success, but like, wait, no, I actually don't. What I actually want is to make a positive impact and to have the freedom to do what I want when I want. Like that's the value. So in the, in the thing that you want, inevitably you'll be able to find that value, but starting there, it's going to help give you a particular type of mm, like barometer with your wants and your desires, because you'll, you'll start to put some things you want, but you're like, wait a second, this is not congruent with my values at all. I, you know, someone's like, yeah, I want 10 spouse, whatever. Like, and then they're like, wait a second, maybe that's not congruent with my values. Maybe I just want one or, you know, I'm, I'm intentionally trying to give maybe more general uh, examples as to not influence someone's thinking too much. But the main thing is just getting somewhat clear on what's actually important to you so that when you actually identify what you want, it makes sense. It makes sense. Otherwise, we're just arbitrarily putting things down that we think we want. Oftentimes, we put things we think we should want without knowing our values. Mm -hmm. We should all over ourselves. Yeah. Don't, we don't want to should on ourselves or anyone else. Yeah. And I think the other thing is once you are clear on those values, everything kind of gets automatically ran through them because the other thing that stands in our way is, yeah, we might set a goal that you know we want to create all these healthy habits for our health, but we keep prioritizing our job that's running us into the ground or, you know, whatever it may be. But if we can run the other things in our lives through that value system, it becomes easier to focus on the things we really want to focus on. Exactly. And then you actually have a, a progression and a prioritization because once you know your values, it'd be very clear what value is more important than another. An example might be someone says, I value, um, living in a beautiful place like as a value of mine actually i really do here's southern california what you know what can i say um i like to like i let's say something specific i lived i like to live in warm climates near the beach that's actually specifically a value system of mine um another value of mine is i like to positively impact someone's life like i like to offer people transformational life-changing experiences. 
Now, those are both values, but it's a like if I had to choose one, like I'm I'm choosing ten times out of ten choosing helping someone before like living in a place in the beach. Unfortunately, I don't have to choose, and hopefully, we'll never have any situation where I have to choose. But what happens is once you name them, you, you'll be able to prioritize, see what's actually important, and then as you, the example you gave, where it's like, okay, I value money, but I value my health. Wait, I value maybe health more than money, therefore the only natural logical conclusion is I need to change my work environment or work situation, which is compromising my health for, in the name of money. So like that, it, it just brings sense to it all. It, it starts to give someone a, a logical perspective as well as um, just clarity, just knowing what is what, which will facilitate introspection facilitate someone knowing who they are and you know this word we brought up before dharma like understanding someone's purpose like what are you actually here to do that, that'll become exceedingly clear if you do those three steps for anyone and there's other exercises we do around finding violence dharma but these are some first steps in identifying that yeah and i think another thing that's useful for people to think about with that like with the purpose thing is everyone always thinks work like what's my purpose from a job perspective but it's just your purpose for life, not the yeah. job that you're doing. So I think that's another useful thing for people to think about is your purpose is more than your job <laughs> in this life. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of if you can monetize your purpose, that's even cooler, but it, there's no need as long as you're doing both, you know, figure out a way to do something that's within your values that makes you a little money to feed into your purpose or if you figure a way to, and that's why I, I liked coaching so much. Cause I was like, wait, I can get paid to do what I'm going to do anyway. <laughs> I just yeah. talk, talk about things. I love talking about. This is great. Um, I definitely encourage people. If you can do that, it's great. If not, yeah, either way, you still have to do, as you mentioned, and that is find Find out what your purpose is. You know, what is it you're here to do? You were given a specific set of skills, gifts, and nature. And no one in the universe and beyond will ever have. You're a unique little jiva, little soul that's unlike any other soul ever in the universe and beyond. To the extent that you can accept that reality and understand how unique and special we are, then it just makes sense to uh, figure out how to do that thing, how to actually live that purpose according to your unique psychophysical nature and gifts in a way, I always like to qualify it in a way that improves not only your life, but the quality of lives of others. Because any, any purpose, any real purpose is not just going to positively impact you, right? It's always going to impact others around. And so finding out what that is, and there's actually systems that we use to do that too. And maybe at some point in this podcast or another, we can go into like some of the ways that people can find their purpose. Because that's probably the biggest question we get when people first come in. Like I'd love, love to get into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Should, should we, how about I give the bite-sized version now? And yeah, that's, that's perfect. Some of the time we can get into it, but yeah, most people, when they come in, you know, there's all this idea of like purpose, purpose. What is it that you're here to do? Because again, I'm trying to teach you how to monetize that. <laughs> I am. We, we have to know that before we can even take a further step. There are certain ways to identify it according to maybe ancient perspectives, which I'll share. And then there's more empirical, commonsensical ways to uh, identify one's nature. 
you'll find that in traditional societies, there was a type of caste system. Now, nowadays in the West, when we talk about caste, it's like, ah, it's like gross and hierarchical. It doesn't work. But I'm talking about a traditional society where people have natures and are engaged according to their nature. And, you know, one according to the ancient Vedic civilization, um, which permeated pretty much throughout the whole world, was it was like four primary castes. And, and if that word's triggering for anyone, no problem. Maybe fill in the blank. You could say four types of dharmas, four types of uh, purposes, four types of psychophysiological occupational engagement. Like archetypes? Yeah, archetypes. Yeah, it's like there's like four primary categories which work synergetically. And one's not better than the other, but they're all essential. It's actually mentioned like one is the head, one is the body, one is the arms, one is the legs. It's like you need all to be able to make a society move. And um, I found this to be the most hmm, non-sectarian and relatable of all like archetypes, you know, psychological, occupational, archetypal understandings. And it, without getting into the Sanskrit, there's pretty much you have the like teachers and educators. It's also like the priestly class, like the educator class, the intellectuals. That, and their, their primary thing is teaching. And then you have like leaders, the administrative class, including like warriors and the government leaders, really the simplest way to put it. Those whose nature is they're just, they're going to figure a way to get to the top. And then they, that's what they do is they lead. And then you have like the, um, the merchantile class or agriculturist class. These are the people who are in um, all forms of aggrandizement and uh, everything from like business to agriculture, that which allows the world to actually move in terms of trade and merchantile class. Then you have um, those that we call like the helpers, those who want to connect with one of the above, um, but they want to support, they're, 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 they want to enact the practices and the implementational skills to get the other three uh, things done. So, so it's like four classes, according to the Sanskrit, you have Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, and Shudras. There's also a fifth class, which is like outside, outsiders, which means like those who more of like a tribal Aboriginal, those who go to live in the caves and isolate outside of society. So that's like its own class, but specifically you have these four. And so according to someone's nature, if you're like a teacher, and that's what you're here to do, and if you want to know if you're a teacher or not, you're... Ask everyone around you and they'll tell you. You're like, yeah, all you do is freaking talk about all these things that you, you learn something. All you do is just spew it, <laughs> right? And then, it, you know, teachers tend to be far more um, cerebral, a little bit more isolated and reserved, not necessarily very, um, hmm, not necessarily the most able and passionate, but more cerebral and considerate and deliberate and um tolerant there's different qualities mentioned in ancient yoga literatures of each but there's just some of the qualities there whereas leaders tend to be far more passionate self-effacing um challenging they like like it's just their nature is to be able to see things and tinker with them and put the pieces together really well to be able to lead whereas those of um the agri agricultural or um merchantile class it's like they 
they see things in relation to like resources and money. Like they see something like, oh, you could, this, this is how you monetize. You like do it like that. Or like, and, and I say in terms of resources, now we really just deal with money in terms of resources, but be it in terms of crops or whatever, they see things in the, according to their ability to grow said thing <laughs> and, and, and that way that thing can expand. And the helpers, they're, they're like, they want to connect to a grander mission and support that. They don't want to necessarily be the boss. They want to support uh, one of the three above and, and support in that mission and do a lot of the implementation. And like, according to that, like that's a very traditional style of understanding one's nature and ar archetype. And I like that style, at least for someone to start to start to get some clarity of what one's nature is. The more modern approach is, is more of a psychological, I mean, that's still psychological, but this is more of a psychological approach of really understanding one's motivations in life. There's lots of systems, uh, you know, we use Vedic, um, Vedic astrology, it's called Jyotish, uh, as well as other traditional systems of understanding one's mind and whatnot. But there's many tools nowadays we use from Enneagram to uh, human design to uh, fill in the blank ways to start to understand one's psyche and one's nature i'm even just general psychotherapy i'm a big fan of just things that will help one introspect and ultimately when it comes to one's purpose I, I encourage somebody to ask what genuinely motivates them over and above all other motivations what is it that you when you write down all the things that motivate you what is the one that's like that? Like th this thing, this thing gets me going more, more and above anything else. Then you ask the second question is, will this positively impact my life and the lives of everyone around you? And if the answer is yes, great. Let's start there. Like, let's just, let's just take that and run with that until we get more clarity. Um, if the answer is no, you're like, no, this doesn't help me or anyone else. It's like, all right, let's try What's the next most important <laughs> until you find one that's like, yes, this impacts me positively as well as everyone else. And then you can blend the two. So like, let's say you're motivated by, let's give an abstract example. Let's say you're motivated by helping people detoxify through health. Um, <laughs> it's like, let's say like, that's the thing. It's like, I want to help people heal. Like, oh God, like the feeling of somebody telling me, oh my God, you've helped me heal. That's nothing motivates more than that. Then great. It's like, cool. Where am I? Yeah, I probably like, like I'm a teacher. I should probably be teaching. You know, and, and like that, you can start, you start to formulate and get some idea of like, okay, this is what I should be doing and go all in until you get clarity that you need to pivot. There's no need to wait or hesitate just because you're not absolutely certain if that's what you should be doing or not. Otherwise you get stuck in analysis paralysis. I, well, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. So I'll just wait, wait for what? No, just do it. Just go move. You got this. You're, you're going to crush it. And if you don't crush it, it'll become very obvious that that's not your thing and the other thing will become more obvious, what you actually are supposed to be doing. Well, anyway, that's the short version. Yes. Thank you for walking through that. And I'd love to kind of go back to the kind of like health part of the journey and how you were supporting people. Cause I'm interested how you found spirituality could play a part in that. If that, it just seems to me, it must be something that you work into everything that you do. So just curious kind of what that looked like. And if you felt like it kind of got people even better results when they had that piece in play. Yeah. What a great question. So in order to qualify the term spiritual, so when I'm talking about spiritual, I literally mean in relation to the spirit, to the nature of like the self, the real us. 
So according to that, I definitely think that having some spiritual understanding is imperative for a satisfying life. Now, to be really specific, if I'm a soul, use whatever vernacular we like, but the idea is if I am the real me that's driving around the biomechanical robot, whatever's of that nature, the nature of the spirit will become spiritual. Now, according to the ancient Vedic philosophy, is that we are, we're not only reincarnating in this life, taking on new carne, new flesh, new cells, uh, but we do that even after this body is done, we take a new body. And like that, we, we go through different cycles according to one's desires, when uh, nature facilitates a body to reciprocate and to enact one's desires. Therefore, the, the body changes, but the spirit is eternal. So therefore, we want to do things that are in relation to the soul, which is eternal. That means that in the set of values, even above health, is actually spirit because that big day is coming for all of us not to be macabre but we gonna die that's one thing that's certain that's like you want to there's not a lot of certainties in life that's why it's like for sure that day is gonna come our health will only take us that far however nurturing ourselves on the level of the self of the soul of the spirit goes past this body now one might say ah oh, yeah but you don't know that yeah but there's two options. It either does or it doesn't. It either you go on past this body or you don't. Now, you don't know either way. Therefore, if you're voluntarily choosing the one that it ends, when you could also voluntarily choose the one that it continues, it's a type of philosophical suicide. Saying like, I'm just going to choose the one that is kind of a bummer. So better, better would be to um, keep things going and keep things moving. Believe that things keep going on. Um, there's other verifiable means of that, but just for the sake of simplicity, if between the two options, it's the one that is the most, makes the most sense to live a purposeful life. If we figure out ways to nurture ourselves on a spiritual level, even above our financial, our health, our relationships, et cetera, then we will have something to connect to even when all these material things aren't present, which they won't. And sometimes you might have, you have them today, they're gone tomorrow. You don't have now, they're coming any second on their own. If we can anchor ourselves to a particular spiritual practices that give us a nourishment and a happiness deeper than temporary happiness. And I'm happy about it. Something that nourishes us on a deeper level. And I would equate that to helping one understand their own nature and self in relationship to divinity and eternality. And that's a thing worth doing. So specifically for spiritual practices, um, According to the bhakti yoga perspective, which literally means love and devotion. Bhakti means love and devotion. Yoga means to connect. We have the same word in English, yoke. comes from the word yuk or yuj in Sanskrit. Um, we want to connect to divinity through bhakti, through love and devotion. And what that means, it's not a sectarian practice. It means anyone, no matter what race, religion, ethnicity, gender, social status blah blah all those things are temporary eternal we're not so uh, they're, they're temporary and not eternal we're not interested in them we're interested in that those practices which connect one through love loving devotional service to divinity because if it is true the soul continues and goes on then why not cultivate an eternal relationship 
with someone, especially if that person might be fully compassionate, fully powerful, and fully knowing, which would make sense. I wouldn't really want to believe in a divinity that wasn't fully powerful. That would make them not divine. And if they're not compassionate, that'd be a big problem. That'd be a big old problem. Like, please don't spite me. No, <laughs> there's no smiting. There's no smiting with an all-loving divinity. So the idea is if there is divinity, it must be all passionate, uh, all compassionate and loving, all-knowing and all-powerful. Wants to do good and can do good. And so why not cultivate a relationship with that said individual on top of all the other things that are going on in this life? Because if you do... If the soul does go on, you get a good head start there. <laughs> so that's why I always suggest that it's important to have certain practices. Like there's, we always encourage a place to start is chanting divine names. The nature of the absolute is absolute. The nature of divine is divine. The nature of the unlimited is unlimited. And so therefore, when we chant these divine names, it's none different than, you know, like when I say Nicole, I get your attention. Nicole, yeah right? When I call out for you, especially if I do, Nicole, <laughs> yes, Madhu, tell me, right? With, with, with some energy and some attention, I, I, I get your attention. We, however, are bound by time space. Maybe not you, you're a yogi. You're, I don't know if you're bound by time space, but I am, and a lot of us humans, we're bound by time space in these bodies. Divinity is not. So when I call out these divine names, Ram. We're actually, it's a divine communion. We're welcoming divinity to be present with us. And it's nourishing. And one, you know, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. One can practice this ancient mantra meditation where you're chanting divine sounds to chill with the OG, if you will, as a way of nourishing one's spiritual practice. So like, that's one example of things that we could do on a daily basis to, that is going to go far past whatever we can do in the few years that we're in a human body here. So much more I can say, but that's, that's the gist. Totally agree. So I always like to ask people on this show, because I mean, we've been talking about it all along. Habits obviously are so important to building the life that we want, reaching our claims and all of that. So what are habits that are really like non-negotiables for you in your life that you think have supported you? So I categorize everything to four for the sake of answering this, and in many cases, I categorize things into four. We have health, which I think it's broken down into, I'd say, physical, psychological, and emotional. Then we have spirit, which is, again, in relation to our spiritual health. Then we have our dharma. And so that's typically, you could break this into two, which is one is the one you monetize and the one that's your purpose. For the sake of simplicity, like like how to monetize your purpose, like what you're here to be doing. Because if you're doing what you're here to do, the money's going to come automatically. And then the fourth is relationships. There's everything from your upline, your downline, to your friends, to your partners, to your family, et cetera. So these four buckets, there are non-negotiables in each. There are certain things that are necessary habits for each of these categories. And this is for me. I encourage anyone who wants to try these on for size it's yours. Anything I've shared today, knowledge is not, uh, cannot be owned. It's all yours. It doesn't belong to me anyway. Have it, take it, run with it, change your life, change others' lives with it. So if you like anything I'm saying, use it. With health, for physical health, there's certain things that we need to do. Like you got to move every day. You got to have a plan to move every day. If you can't do every day, at least do every other day. Can't do that, at least do every third day. 
<laughs> there has to be some plan to get the body moving. And there has to be some plan for um, diet. We, one needs to establish a diet, eating food that's digestible, that's full of life, that's going to allow them longevity. There's other things there too, but really diet and lifestyle are the primary things. There's obviously you got to qualify sleep. You need hydration. You need, um, I mean, so many more, but like these are some of the things you need for your physical health. Similarly with your mental health, you need to do certain practices that are um, training the mind. You need to actually train the mind through various forms of meditation. Even breath work, I actually put more in this practice, even though it also helps physiologically. A breath work in order to reprogram and train the mind and then like that. And similarly for spiritual life, practices like chanting every day where we chant divine syllables or we read sacred literatures, literatures that help illuminate the mind that make us go, oh, oh, this is a good reason to live. Oh, wow. I should really help more people. Hey, look at that. You know, those types of literatures like the Bhagavad Gita, like chanting sacred sound and much more. For Dharma, it's like, what do I need to commit to doing every day? Like in my case, um, it's it's actually like talking to people. Like how many people do I need to talk to in a month to find X amount of people that I can work with to actually be able to give them a full transformation? Anyone I talk to, I'm going to make sure they get some value, that their life is somehow positively impacted. But like a certain amount of them are people that will work together more personally that I can really help get in and hold their hand to like fully change their life. So it's like, for me, it's like I need to commit to a certain amount of calls every month, every week. Like I need to speak to at least X amount of people. And there's other things you do there. And then similarly with relationships, like I need X amount of time with my wife every day, every day, X amount of time with my wife and not, not bored, bored, lazy time, but like time where actually quality time. I need time with friends. Got to schedule that in. Got to schedule time with the teachers. Got to schedule time with the students. Like that, you start to you start to understand, okay, and again, this all comes from your values. You start to say, okay, what are the things that I need to be doing and how do I schedule them into my day and into my life? Because once you have a day, that an ideal day, and you're following that, what more could you ask for than doing what you want to do on any given day? Absolutely. I feel like I would be remiss to not ask the monk about meditation. <laughs> if there is any type of meditation that you recommend to people that you find to be the most beneficial, kind of what would be the the highlights of meditation that you would want people to take away? Yes. So the ancient yoga literatures talk about lots of meditation, but they say that mantra meditation is the foremost of them all. Mantra, we've heard this word before, manasa, triate. Manasa means the mind, triate means to deliver or to free. So this word gets uh, conjugate into mantra. So mantra meditation is considered the, the highest because you're focusing your mind on one singular point, And that point is considered to be transcendent. So let's all try an exercise. We're going to meditate together. You ready? So I want you at the count of three, everyone stop thinking and just completely empty your mind. One, two, three, and you lost. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> the nature of the mind is active. You can't empty it. You got to give it something good. There's tons of meditation. Let's try another one. You guys ready? All right. We're going to meditate to become desireless. You ready? One, two, three, go. And we lost because that's a desire in itself. Oh my gosh. The nature of the mind is active. The nature of the self is to want. We need to find meditations that we can actually engage the mind in, not just try to grab it and hope for the best. No, we need to, we need to uh, allow the mind to cooperate with what we want. 
And so the reason mantra meditation is good because a lot of things you can just focus your attention on. Look at a candle, look at like what, there's tons of ways you could just focus, even a song could be just some other sound vibration. But mantras are sound vibrations that are names of divinity as, as to invoke divine presence into one's life. Chill with the OG, as I like to say, with love supreme. This mantra meditation gives the mind something to actually focus on. A singular place so that when you wander from it, you can come back. Because that's where real meditation, according to the uh, yoga literature, is like in the Bhagavad Gita, in the sixth chapter, which is dhyana yoga, the yoga of meditation. It's taught that real meditation means when the mind wanders, you grab it, you bring it back. Right? Bring, that's where real focus comes from. Now, you can do that with many things, but why not do it with something transcendent? Something that is full of energy that you can actually plug into to feel supercharged from. And that's what mantras. So there's like, you know, there's a few chants traditionally people chant. I'm a big fan of the Maha mantra. Maha in Sanskrit means uh, great. There's a lot of mantras, but in one of the Upanishads, which is um, one of the ancient yoga literatures, there's 108 Upanishads. One of them is called the Kali Shantarana Upanishad, which is the Upanishad for this age, the age of Kali. It means a quarrel and hypocrisy. I hope no one's ever seen any quarrel and hypocrisy in their life, but it's possible they have. In this age, it's mentioned that iti kali that there's a 32-syllable mantra that's like the panacea mantra. What can be achieved in all these other Vedic mantras can be achieved singularly in just this one, and that's why they call it the Maha Mantra. So it's like the most famous around the world. I think, you know, makes sense. It's the Maha. Um, and integrating a practice like the Maha Mantra into one's life daily, even just a few mantras a day, can be beneficial. It's three syllables. It sounds something like this. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Like that's the full mantra. And so it's three words, Hare Krishna and Rama put together. And taking a few minutes a day to like sit down, turn anything with an on, off switch off. And just like sitting down and actually trying to focus one's full attention on the sound vibration. of like chanting a mantra like the Maha Mantra. It is revolutionary. If somebody's like, ah, I don't like to meditate, and you're like me, then if you're if you had ADHD and anxiety and all those things, and you're actually not meant to sit down, and you're like me, great, we got a meditation for you. You sit down, and you and even if you're walking, you can gently walk, pace if you need to, and you just chant. Hare, maybe we could try it. Uh, we could try it together for about thirty seconds, and and we'll do a call and response for the sake of simplicity. For everyone listening, if you guys want to try, just take a moment, take a deep breath through the nose, out through the mouth. We're just going to do this a few times, but I really want you to see what happens with just a few moments of mantra meditation because it's so easy to integrate into your day to bring some peace into your mind. So I'll chant it bite by bite and we can respond. So it's like, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. That's just two mantras. Hundred percent of people just felt something. Everyone just got what just happened. <laughs> two mantras can't be that simple all we're doing is we're chanting Hare's divine feminine krishna and ram names for the divine masculine 
according to the Vedic perspective, it's not one or the other. It's the complete whole. We chant mantras like this, and you just, just do 10 mantras a day, 108 mantras a day. That's fine. You do 432 mantras every day. It doesn't matter. If every day you sit down and you focus your attention on some divine sound, not only is it the easiest, most beneficial form of meditation, but it becomes fun. It becomes fun. So like that's one thing that anyone listening to can immediately grab and start to apply into their life. Thank you. That was so helpful. And I mean, I feel like we'll definitely have to have you back on because there's so I'm many stuck other with me now. things to talk about, but I know we're approaching time. So I'll ask you the question that I ask everybody who comes on the show, which is what is one toxic thing that you've released from your life that's had a major impact? Hmm. I would say that the primary toxic thing I've released from my life that's been the most impactful is giving up this idea that I can do it all on my own. The idea that I got this, I don't got this. Never too pride, proud to ask for help. Why reinvent the wheel when you can stand on the shoulders of giants? I mean, there's also like uh, high processed, refined, bleached white flour. I guess also there. <laughs> Happy to have given that. <laughs> My body appreciates that. Um, but even on a deeper level is, is being willing to ask for help and get help from anyone, any place where I can get some relief, some source of nourishment and giving up this idea that I can do it myself. There's no need, no need to do it. Support. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I mean, this was such a great conversation. I would love for you to just kind of let people know how they can connect with you, work with you, follow you, kind of like plug yourself. I would say that the, the main way we like to serve people is we have free groups, which we teach the monk mindset method. The main thing is for those of you, really anyone who's interested in actually developing the behaviors to train the mind to cooperate. Um, just all you have to do is send us the word monk at, let's do our email, which is info at madu.life, I-N-F-O at M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E. Or on all social media platforms, M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E, madu.life. Find me on any social media platform and just send me the word monk. And what we'll do is we'll send you the appropriate information uh, to get you started, to get you some support. And if you are a coach or a holistic practitioner, yoga you know, and you want more resources around that too, just let us know. You can say, Monk, oh, by the way, send me some stuff for help me grow my coaching business. We'll send you some information there. The, our whole goal is to make sure you guys know that there's always options. You don't have to do this alone. We're here to do whatever we can to support you in living the life of your dreams. So just send us the word Monk on any platform, madu.life. Instagram's probably the best if you want me to choose. Awesome. And we'll link up to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. This was such a great conversation. Thanks for holding a sacred space for people to get to come together and actually learn how to optimize their health. It's such an invaluable service. And I'm so grateful for everyone that's listening to this to get to come together and listen to you because you have so much to offer these people and so much, um, so much practical information. So please, everyone listening, keep coming back, keep listening here because uh, your attention is going to be spent one way or another. Better to spend it in upgrading your holistic life with uh, Nicole here. So thank you for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate that. 
So I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Now I'm going to recap the takeaways. So number one, holistic health practices like Ayurveda can often be more supportive due to its focus on the root of your disease versus Western medicine, which typically addresses individual symptoms. Number two, you can't serve from a place of depletion. A drowning lifeguard can't save anyone, but a strong one can save many. Number three, steps to the monk mindset method are number one, understanding your values. Write them all down and go through and identify where you learned it and ask if it's true for you. Number two, your claims, your specific desires phrased in a positive way. And number three, your habits, the consistent actions that it takes to achieve your claims. Number four is determining your values allows you to prioritize everything in your life. Number five, your unique soul meant to live your purpose, which is your biggest motivation in life, which allows you to use your gifts and improve the life of yourself and others. And you can use different modalities to do this. Human design is one that he mentioned, which I love that. And of course, that's something that I can support you in. Number six, there's no need to wait or hesitate because you're not sure how something will turn out or if it's right for you. Just go all in until something shows you it's time to shift. Number seven, having some spiritual understanding makes for a satisfying life. The body changes, but the spirit and soul are eternal. If we nurture ourselves on a spiritual level, we have something to connect to when physical things aren't present. Number eight, mantra meditation is the most important, easiest, and beneficial meditation in which you focus on one single point or mantra, which is transcendent. So when you wander from it, you can come back instead of just trying to empty your mind, which is basically a losing game. Number nine, key areas of focus when creating your non-negotiables are your health, spirituality, your dharma or purpose, and relationships. And number 10, we don't need to do it all on our own. Never be too proud to ask for help. So again, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did, and there'll be information in the show notes, of course, to connect with Madhu if you are interested in that. And if you are enjoying the show, I would absolutely love if you would leave a rating or review, share this episode with anyone that you think would benefit from it, and I will see you on the next one. Bye.